Welcome to the Founders and Friends podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. As I've said in previous intros, we are doing a best of series. We've moved all the podcasts over to the Cruise Consulting website and we're doing the best of so that everyone can enjoy these podcasts we did about nine months ago. This episode is with Dan Croak of ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is one of the top design development firms uh, across the country. Dan is their CMO, awesome guy. And they have this incredible playbook where online they discuss how they do every single task or every single process in the business. We talk a lot about that. We talk a lot about development. Dan's an awesome guest, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the One California Podcast. I'm super excited to have Mr. Dan Croak here of ThoughtBot. Welcome, Dan. Thanks for having me. Now, for folks who don't know, Dan is the chief marketing officer of ThoughtBot. ThoughtBot is a pretty, you guys are pretty big, right? Like t- tell the folks how big you guys are and what you guys do. Sure. Uh, we got about 90 people across 10 offices. Uh, you know, so really small teams of designers and developers. We're an agency. So software design and product design. Uh, people are hiring us, you know, on one to six month kind of tours to help them release, you know, new products into the world. What I like about you guys is you're not just like, there's tons of development shops out there, you know, folks who actually like build software, build new products. But you guys do two things. A, you're, you have awesome designers. So like everything that comes through ThoughtBot is just so well made. And what I always like tell people when they're look, checking you guys out, like ThoughtBot will not make the product if they don't believe in it, which I think is like the ultimate, ultimate validation of what you guys do. But the other thing is you guys put, you guys do like a ton of open source stuff. You do a ton of product building. You put a ton of education out on the internet. It's like, it's really amazing how much you guys give back to the community. I mean, is that like a conscious, conscious thing? Like, how do you guys, how do you guys evolve to be publishing all this stuff on the internet and all these how tos and building products that are readily available on GitHub? Like, how do you get there? I, I think probably just by looking at others. You know, I think we're just the continuation of what others have have done. We have gotten so much benefit from open source programming languages and frameworks and all kinds of things, especially Ruby on Rails. You know, about eight or nine years ago, the company did their first projects in Ruby on Rails. That's how I found them. I, I was a client of ThoughtBot before I worked here. So I hired them because I was looking for Ruby on Rails consultants. Ruby on Rails is a open source web application framework and the source code is out there. And as soon as you you use it in your, your projects, you're kind of feeling like, I want to tweak it, I want to do this and that. And so giving back is a very natural part of that, that culture. And so fitting right into that just always seemed right to us. That's awesome. Now you should tell a story about a, a young man named Dan who was a Bostonite and decided to make the trek out to California. Like, so thought, well, how big was ThoughtBot five years ago when you came out to California? Three, it was three years ago. So I think we decided in, you know, somewhere around like March or April of three years ago, 2012, that it was time to, to grow beyond Boston. We've, we had a few earlier periods where the team was mostly in Boston, you know, kind of hovering somewhere between 10 and 25 people at different times. Had some, a few folks in New York at, a, at different, different points, grabbing a few desks at a, another agency. We had some clients down there, so we're, you know, back and forth on the Amtrak a few times. Chad, our CEO, lived down in Philly for two years, um, solo, you know, as the CEO of the company, <laughs> working out of his uh, his um, attic. Um, so, you know, I spent at least one day uh, working remotely from Chad's attic, and, um, you know, That's when we're, awesome. we're down there. 
Was his mom like, uh, was his mom's attic or Chad's attic? It was Chad's attic. Uh, yeah. His wife had um, some kind of like biomechanical engineering. I forget exactly what uh, work she was doing down at, down the Philly area, but uh, her, her job took her down there. And um, so he led the company down there, but we had a, a small team up in Boston. We had a few folks over the years who sort of uh, moved to the West Coast. They felt the pull of San Francisco and the Bay Area, tried to have them work remotely out of their homes for a while and uh, at that period in time didn't really feel like we were very well set up to just have remote employees everywhere so pulled everyone back to to Boston did that for a few years um, and then after a while kind of felt like Boston's great you know Ruby on Rails is great design is great but you know what else can we be doing and there's a lot of interesting software to build and we really like the face-to-face portion of the work that we do with our clients Let's go where there's, you know, other clients that we could be working with. San Francisco is the most obvious next yeah. place. Yeah. So I was it like a mental, th- like, was it like, hey, this is across the other side of the country, and this, uh, you know, I don't know, it's kind of a big market out there, like, or was it just like you guys were just kind of building your own internal DNA and didn't want to separate yet and didn't want to go the, go to the other coast? So, so why didn't we do it earlier? Yeah, yeah. Similarly, I asked that question from a total Californian perspective. Like, <laughs> where it's like gro- growth it, is everything. Yeah, in Silicon Valley. That yeah, kind of thing. it's like the Manhattanite. You know that New Yorker cartoon where it's like west of the whatever river. There's nothing. You know, yep. I'm like in, Cal- in San Francisco. It's like, well, why wouldn't you come out to San Francisco earlier? You know, right? But I know you guys had some good well, reasons. Boston's the same thing too. I mean, Boston's very parochial kind of town. <laughs> totally. Um, but you know, I, th- I think the DNA of the company. Very much, you know, a software engineer started it. You know, Chad and John were, were the the founders of the company. Both still at the company, like you know, twelve ish years later. Every time I see Chad, he looks really tired, which is like the <laughs> ultimate compliment. He's usually getting off a plane. He's, yeah. turn, he's a fast turnaround, that kind of thing. I just assume he's a really hard worker. Yeah, that too. Wow, that, that guy too. is a hard worker. Look how tired he looks. Yep. Um, but both of those things are true. You know, I, I think in the, so. Founded by software engineers bootstraps, you know, so growing fast is sort of scary when you're learning to build a business as you go. I can relate. Yeah. Um, consulting and never, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, never raise funding. So never felt like there was that moment to, you know, grow, grow quickly. And, you know, I think when, when things are working at the, the small size, small, small stage, it's sort of like what, what, what benefits will we get from, from being larger? Um, especially if it's not, new capabilities, you know, in the design world to say like yeah. new affordances, you know, what, what can you provide to yeah. the world? And, and so another way of saying it is like, you guys are already really good at what you do. It wasn't like you needed, there wasn't some magical gap you were filling out here or yeah. something like that. And, and most of our projects are, are so small too, you know, the project team size that when we're staffing a project is like one to five people most of the time. So, you know, it's not like, it's not like we're like, wow, we, could just, we just got this 20-person project and we can't staff it because we're a 20-person company. Um, so it, it, didn't, it didn't feel like a, a strong urge for a while. But I think after a while, you know, you, you see really strong designers and developers leave the company because we have this, hey, everyone be in Boston. And, you know, could we have avoided that? You know, could we have said, you know, there's plenty of projects we could be doing out here. Those folks could have stayed at ThoughtBot and... Um, there was nothing about ThoughtBot that was keeping them, uh, that was pushing them away. It was more of a, for personal reasons, I need to move to a new area. Yeah, so yeah. the same thing happened to us. You know, we, we sort of, once we got past that blocker and, and felt like we can run a distributed company, especially as the tools 
got better. You know, it, six, seven, eight years ago, you know, we didn't have GitHub and um, Slack and you know all, all, these, all these tools yeah, yeah. that uh, you know that just help help with the remote work. Google Hangouts, you know, all those little things, Trello that we're using today, yeah. um, weren't around. So there's, I've always kind of said, remote work raises the degree of difficulty. You know, you're able to do things a little bit more efficiently in person. Yeah. But everyone knows the trade-off. There's a trade-off there of commuting sucks, and everyone needs a change. Chad's wife gets a job in Philly. I feel like I've been in Boston for for decades and need something different. You know, there many other folks. Mike, in our, who's also in you know kind of my cohort or whatever you want to call it. You know, he started at Thoughtbot around the same time. Wanted to move to Stockholm, so we opened a Stockholm office. You know, we've got folks in Raleigh and Austin, and you know, all these other places where it's a mix now. Where some of the offices, like Austin and New York and San Francisco, or this combination of we want to be there because we think there's great clients and great work to be done there and, and a good market, but it's also a place that we see people keep that they have their eye on that people yeah. who work at the company yeah. want, want, want to be right. there yeah yeah um and so we, now it's nice we've got a, you know you look at the last three years when we've had all these offices and we've had people move from boston to san francisco there was two this summer we've got another one coming you know in september we've got people moving from san francisco to austin we've got people moving from location awesome. to location that's and great it, it's it's really nice that's really cool and you, yeah, you don't, I, I think, I think you made a great point there where it's like your people were telling you, you need to grow, you know, like I, I think about that a lot actually with cruise consulting and Vanessa and I talk about a lot and I've seen that in a lot of businesses over the years. Like it's hard enough to find really special, talented people and you got to kind of got to respect their life choices and, and make room for them. And especially if they're really good and they're part of the family, then yep. you should. And it, it's a nice little catalyst for for growing i mean did you have you talked about yourself and services business in particular i mean services businesses the people are everything you know yeah. I've, I've heard more you know derogatory versions of that over the years where people are like oh you're a body shop or um what was one someone told me kind of a pretty pretty well-known entrepreneur in san francisco told me that uh, you guys are day laborers <laughs> and, and what a pleasant person <laughs> <laughs> and uh in in some respects it's it is the case people are are hiring our team and it's this combination of that one individual who's on your project as well as all the backing they have from thought you know it's the, the the conversation we have all the time with our clients it's like you, you get this nice benefit of every person that we've hired is great but you got Thoughtbot behind them so that they're never getting stuck. They can yeah. go into a Slack channel and ask all these different things. Yeah. But the person who's been at Thoughtbot for two, three, four years, who's got all this knowledge of how we work, and you know, is uh, a big, big difference maker for. Oh, it's teams. huge, huge reason. So you talked about kind of how we work. There's so so one of my favorite things about Thoughtbot is that you guys have kind of like melded the culture with like this like knowledge base plus like giving back to the community it's really powerful and i feel like it's the best example of that is the playbook mm -hmm. and the thought the thought for everyone at home like i think google thoughtbot playbook it is yep. amazing it is basically how you guys do business like almost every aspect of business can you Talk about that a little bit. Sure. I mean, the, the genesis of the, the playbook was talking to clients you know, and, and potential clients about doing projects and basic mechanics, the logistics of how do you staff a project? You know, how do you start a project? What are, what's the billing? What's the invoicing? You know, are not it's not the interesting stuff. You know, you want to kind of get that out of the way. And so we wrote it down so that we could just 
you know, when someone says, hey, I'm interested in working with you, it's like, great, hey, let's talk on Tuesday at 2 p.m. and here's a link to the stuff that we, that you can just read and then let's spend the whole conversation talking about what do you want to build? Like, what's what's your product? What's your vision? You know, why are you quitting your job for this? You know, all, all that kind of stuff that's interesting and motivating and, and feeling like, you know, how are we going to turn this vision in your head into something real um, that can be in your customers' hands and spend all our time on that. And over time, it's grown and, you know, it's probably, I don't know, five or six years old now, the playbook. So it's gone through a lot of edits and has even more stuff in there about agile development and task tracking and GitHub and all kinds of things. So there's a lot of recommendations. We try and keep it. It's a, it's a weird thing for, you know, a 14,000 word document to sort of say it's it's concise, <laughs> but it, it's like it, it's in, it's intended to be information dense. You know, yeah, there, there's yeah. sort of like one recommendation per topic area and say like, oh, if, you're, if you need, here's at least what we do. You know, here's what we do for invoicing. And uh, maybe a year or two ago, we tried to rephrase it. So originally it was sort of like, hey, you want to hire a ThoughtBot? Here's the here's what it's like to be a client of ThoughtBot. And then over time, we kind of changed it and said, people are reading this as it's the gospel of like how you run any software company. And it's like, we're, we're, it's this fine balance of we don't want to overprescribe people because you, you know, especially as consultants, you see every different kind of business and realize that one size doesn't fit yeah, all. But you yeah. can definitely say, "Here's how, here's how we do it," and I'd love to see how you do it. Put, put out your put out your own playbook. I'd love to see how a company that's 300 people or yeah, five people is yeah. doing things right now. And, and so all we can really say mm-hmm. is, "Here's how we do it," and let people grab any of the plays that that make sense for them. It's almost like a modern day like MBA or like it's like. If someone, if when I was in MBA school at Kellogg, like if someone would, I would have taken a class on all this stuff. That would have been like, there's so much information in there and so much like process. And I think the other amazing thing is you guys explain why you do things, which Mm -hmm. is like, it's, it's one thing to know, like why, you know, oh, we bill every two weeks or whatever it is, or here's, you know, but like to actually understand why the businesses run that way is so helpful. It's helpful to other entrepreneurs. That's what actually the main reason I pointed out is like, Everyone listening to this should actually read that. And it's, it's, it's probably 20, I don't even know, 20 pages long. Like I read it, I remember reading it one night and it's bookmarked on my computer and I check it. And I learned things from that, like how to run our business. Yeah. It was so, so powerful. And I think you made an awesome point about how like you kind of use it as a sales tool. The whole idea of, you, it kind of fits with your, your personal style too. Like I know you really well. Like, you're kind of a uh, speak softly, let your work speak for you kind of person. And like, cause you do excellent work and it's like, you're just putting it out there and letting the customer realize how smart you guys are and how well run this company is. I think it's, it's just super impressive. I'm interested to know now, what are some things from the playbook that you've applied to, to Cruise Consulting? Oh God, like the billing stuff, like it sounds, it's so boring, but like the bill, how to actually bill and how to do it efficiently and how you actually yeah. explain to the client the perspective of a client, how they're going to do it. I thought that was really amazing. I also thought maybe you can talk about this a little bit, like your work schedule, like the, the four and five day work week schedule that ThoughtBot employs, like explain why you do that and what you guys do. So the mechanics of it are Monday through Thursday. Most weeks we're doing client work. So projects that, you know, our, our clients are hiring us for Fridays is everything else. So open source contributions, writing blog posts, hiring, sales, writing internal tools, creating products, 
um, supporting products. You know, so we have written a few um, products over the years that are usually de designer and developer facing tools. So Airbrake was one that's like an error catching tool that just you deploy with your production application and as your errors are coming in, it you know catches them so it helps debugging for software engineers. So basically you ask the team to reinvest one day a week basically in the processes you you employ and tools you guys use and themselves i mean and it's it's, it's, yeah, it's that's an awesome point it's yeah. prof professional development um as well as just like focusing on we do call it investment time so it's like we say i don't even know what we call it the other time time uh client time consulting time but you know, it's, it's more frequent that you'll hear people say investment time for friday yeah. so the, it, we originated it because of what we were talking about earlier, that you just have this need to kind of contribute back. And I think we've probably been reading about 20% time at Google and other, other places and just trying to ask people to manage that 20% time on their own wasn't working when we tried to implement it. And so just saying there's a day for it makes everything simpler, um, especially for consulting too. I mean, it, it means that the other four days are much more focused on client time because you know you've got that day to, to manage the emails and stuff like that that's, that's come in, the, the little administrivia that builds up over the week. And um, there's that extra time to say, oh, I, had, I ran across some problem this week that, why isn't there a tool that does this? You do a little bit of research on Fridays, doesn't exist. Maybe I should spike this out as a, you know, and send it around to the other folks at ThoughtBot and see if this would help them. And then all of a sudden, something like Airbrake or Hound you know, emerges. And over time, that turns into a fun product that we can work on on, on Fridays. And that just, it, it's, it's all positive feedback loops. You know, there's now four or five or six people, especially in the San Francisco office, who've been working on Hound for the last year, year and a half on Fridays. And they have all this experience now of what it's like to run a small startup, essentially, you know, that's a little, a little product, point. you know, a SaaS business. They can relate to business. your clients. And Absolutely. Actually, yeah, that's huge. Yeah. But I also think, like, I remember Miles Beckett was, Miles Beckett of Silver Sheet was asking me, to, he asked for a reference, and I'm friends with Miles, a great guy, and he's like, why should I work with ThoughtBot? And I was like, you know what, like, these guys care about their work so much, and they're so good at it, they actually build tools to make themselves faster. And I think like a lot of like a quote unquote body shop or something like that, like the day laborer would never want to work faster, you know, like they, they're billable and whatever. If this takes me two yeah. days is better because I'll make more money than taking one day. You guys are the exact opposite. You guys like really appreciate efficiency and want to do it the right way. And like, you're actually putting your own company time into building these tools is, I mean, I think that's like super impressive. Yeah. I mean, I, I appreciate the, the compliments and I do think that ThoughtBot is a, a special place in a lot, of, a lot of those areas, but I do think that there's something to the personalities of, you know, makers, you know, software engineers and designers that does, that's pretty common. You know, like you look at, you know, th there's other firms out there that do that, that, that at least a similar impulse, you know, that you'll see a lot of shops. It's almost a, a uh, like a caricature to say that a lot of agencies will create a project management tool at some point. They'll create, <laughs> you know, um, a task management tool. Yeah, you know, yeah. like, oh, there's these categories that yeah. people keep keep re rewriting because it's like, it's not, doesn't exactly fit my workflow. And we've done that too. We've created like two or three versions of product, project management tools on, on our own. 
Uh, or people will create training businesses where it's like, oh, we just learned something. Oh, you have this urge to share it. Like you want people, other people to experience that. Uh, there's also just the human yeah. aspect of not wanting to do repetitive menial work. Like there is, especially in the software engineers' minds, like you don't want to really ever solve the same problem again. That, that's what makes, one of the problems that makes uh, software estimation so hard is like the stuff that, is estimatable is the stuff we've already automated. <laughs> so the hard parts of your problem of your project where it's like, you know, the creativity and the unknowns are like the majority of the project. So the, the variation, um, the scope is, is larger. We have the same, same issue. It's in, it's actually what makes the job so interesting is like figuring out the new problems. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I totally get you. You said something, you know, so I, cause I, in, in one way, like I view it as like the ultimate content marketing, like the cold hearted capitalist in me is like, <laughs> oh my gosh, this is like ultimate content marketing. They're just building products and, and like, talk about some of the other stuff you guys do. Like you have a podcast network, you have like, I don't even know, five podcasts. Now you have a whole online education effort. Like these are real, these, these are some people, things that people should know about. Like it's really cool stuff. So we have a blog that's also many, many years old, you know, it's, almost like a quarter of a million people who read it every month <laughs> because we're constantly I forgot about the blog. Yeah. Jeez. That's, that's really the centerpiece. Um, and we still try and create multiple, uh, you know, publish multiple posts each week. There's four podcasts right now. Um, one or two of them are on a, a weekly schedule. So one, one episode a week and the other two or three are on biweekly schedules. What's the name? Of, is, it, is it Giant Robots? Giant Robots was the original. That's on a weekly schedule. Ben Orenstein's the, the host of that one. There's the Bike Shed, which is very technical. There's Tentative, which is a design podcast. And there's Build Phase, which is an iOS podcast. So, again, very, very focused on kind of our own communities, our, our people. Yeah. And uh, the podcasts are very, like, I almost call them, like, programmer lifestyle or designer lifestyle because <laughs> it's sort of it's like know, sunset it's, magazine but for yeah, programmers it's or, like the, it's like yeah. the emotional side of yeah. what it's like to, to live that life and the frustrations that you have with some new you know xcode 6 release or, or something and that that pain only really comes across in the inflection of someone's voice or as the blog tends to be you know a little bit more tutorial based you know we'd love to actually expand it to be all kinds of different and anything that we're experiencing and all that, but the history of it has tended to be very technical. So with 10 years of posts on it, I mean, there's well, well over a thousand articles on, on the blog you know, there's a lot of long tail stuff, you know, it still shows up in searches. Yeah. Yeah. So I have kind of a question. I think this is a question that a lot of entrepreneurs ask me and we've even had this like conversation in the hallway. And for those that don't know, like you guys have like some super, super duper legit, huge companies that, and unfortunately in this world, sometimes like the companies don't let you disclose their name or things like that. But mm -hmm. like you've worked with the best of the best and trust me on this one, folks, I, I see who comes in the office and I know who's, who ThoughtBot is working with. And these are like, these companies start off just kind of like Cruise Consulting's clientele. Like they start off super small, they grow and then they just hit these crazy inflection points. So you've kind of, you've seen everything. You've seen like the great companies emerge. You've seen the companies that looked really promising, but didn't quite make it. So you have a ton of startup experience yourself. Like, so we were having this debate in the hallway the other day with, with someone, a friend of ours who's thinking about engaging ThoughtBot. And his question was like, should I find a technical co-founder now or should I build the prototype with ThoughtBot or someone like ThoughtBot? Like what's, what's your answer to that? Like, I, cause I thought it was a great question. There's a decision tree in that question. You know, if, if you're the, 
if you're the quote unquote non-technical co-founder and you're, you're solo, uh, I would say the first question is, you know, is your problem design or, or technology? You know, I think the find a technical co-founder is almost a five or 10 year old concept. And a lot of the products that we see probably would be better served with like a design co-founder. You look at that's really Airbnb, interesting. Airbnb and, you know, some of these others that are really designers who, who founded it from, you know, RISD, the Renowned School of Design. I didn't know that. Is that where they, they were? They came mm-hmm. out of? That's oh, amazing. Yep. It makes total sense, though, because like that's a that's a design company. Yep. That's not a totally the building a, a reservation system is hard and everything, but it's not like it's not like you're building you're splitting atoms yep. or anything like that. Core is another design founded company. There's others out there, and um, I each, love each Core. City. Core is such a wonderful yeah, Core, product and such a great feedback loop. It's amazing. Yeah, and I think each city has their own personalities too. I mean, Silicon Valley is so powerful in the minds of, of people in terms of, of startups, but I think Silicon Valley is definitely the hardcore tech area. But you see companies in like LA that are really good at you know media and content because that's that's where the strength of their personnel is based. You know, they've come out of Hollywood. They come out of these very creative fields where they're able to, you know, create amazing content, but they can build on the platforms that have been created over the last five or 10 years. You know, Tumblr and Twitter and Facebook and all these places have built in distribution for them. And they don't, their companies don't need to be, you know, have like proprietary patented technology that that's not what what they need. So I think that's like kind of the first decision, you know, question is like, do I need design or technology? A lot of the really common pattern that we see for the super early stage folks are create some kind of clickable prototype and test it with the desired market. Um, you know, what, just like Craigslist, you know, uh, UI groups and things like that, or is this like I, a sp- I, it can be Thoughtbot? Yeah. You know, it can be the the really good you know designers and, and developers who can see where how the product will be built later but they're just stopping after a week you know what i mean so they're just going through an exercise with the domain experts you know hopefully the the founder has some kind of knowledge of why people want this but within a week we can create we can go through this series of you know steps that sort of came from um, google ventures was the one who termed google uh, product design sprint we've done a ton of them over the last two or three oh. years. I so think I saw Pocket do that like a couple years ago when they took money from Google Ventures. They like mm-hmm. it was part of like it was part of actually you know I think they wrote a blog post. Google Ventures wrote a blog post on it, or Pocket wrote a blog yeah. post on it. But it was like Did definitely look at the Google Ventures blog post that they have out there. Um, Blue Bottle is another one that they've got a really good case study on, and some others. But it's you know it's kind of this aggregation of really well-known design techniques where you're just time boxing a week and getting everyone, all the stakeholders and you know the, the talent in a room and saying, what do we need to understand about this problem? What's the problem statement? What's the, the thing we're trying to create? How do we generate as many different ideas of how to solve that as possible? How do we converge all those ideas into a single critical path? How do we store, storyboard it out? You know, comic book style, you know, what's the, the flow here? Lots of yellow sticky notes and pink of, sticky yeah, notes on it. the window. Yeah. ThoughtBot has this, like, these immaculate conference rooms. And when you walk by, you see, like, just probably 50 to 100 sticky notes detailing, like, the actual workflow the user goes through, which I think is brilliant. Yeah. And so, I mean, across the company, we're doing about two a week. So we're doing about 100 of these a year. 
you know, all these, these product design sprints. Sometimes we know that right after the sprint, we're going to roll right into design and development. But a lot of times we've structured the, the sale and, the, and planned sort of the rollout and, you know, what's going to happen with the, the cl- client with where it's a designed pause after the one week. And so someone who only has $10,000, you know, $15,000 to in- invest in something can create this clickable prototype and bring it around for the you know the following week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks to potential users, show it to them, get a bunch of feedback on what's making sense, what isn't making sense. We've had clients take that prototype to investors and raise a seed round off of that. Um, I mean, dude, that's what a I nice, did. That's and it's how, a nice balance where they've yeah. got this real thing, plus we can, you know, we've figured out kind of what we think an MVP would look like. So we've got a rough estimate of like, oh yeah, that's probably gonna be, you should probably raise 100k. You should raise 200k, 250k, 500. You know, whatever the, the you know, the, the range is, and um, with something more real and the story, you know, t- to the investors to say, I'm gonna, I'd like to go back to this same team, you know, who helps, who has this in their their head now, the institutional knowledge of the sprint, um, and build it out in addition to to building a team, but. I don't know. It, it's 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 a tough call to hire full time folks when things are so fluid in the first six months, nine months. Um, I, the, the last sales call I took today, you know, we had talked to that that company twice over the last eighteen months, and I was looking back before the call um, today, and I realized that like even just in February, it's, it's August now. In February, the last time we talked to them, they wanted to do an iOS and Android app, and today. They don't have an iOS and Android app. Like we had, you know, wow. estimated hundreds of thousands of dollars to build out this thing, and they pivoted like Didn't two months it. later. And you know what they're doing now is great for their their business. Like they made, they found out some things about their marketing, their customers, and now they all they need is you know some web stuff. And they've got three people in house, and now they they're seeing a lot of traction, and you know ready to they're they're talking to us again because they want to add two more two more people. What if they'd hired like a full time iOS developer, Android developer? Do you you know it's a hard call to then fire that person? And, yeah. You know, well, I think you made an awesome point about like being able to take a prototype or or a test to investors. Like, I mean, you and I worked started working together. We were friends before, but like we started working together on Citizen Lender, and like that prototype you guys built for me was hugely effective in investor presentations. Like, their eyes would light up and they would start clicking on things, mm-hmm. and I was sh- and it was like so valuable. And ultimately, like. That iteration, it actually, that iteration of the product taught me that like the concept at that point wasn't probably going to work in that incarnation, right. which was a very sad moment for me personally. But it was like it didn't, it didn't cost me. It cost me like three or four months instead of like a year, and I didn't blow anybody's money but mine, you know. And yep. it was like so building these prototypes, even without a technical co-founder, is actually I think is hugely valuable. And like my two cents on it is. If there's a if there's someone who's like a, a true partner in your life who you've been friends with for five years and you trust them and you see the world the same way, then that's an awesome technical co-founder. But if you're just trying to like fill a slot, then I don't think that's a good use of your time. And I, it, but people don't understand is like like the the people who are going to be co-founders are super smart people who have a good nose for these things, and so you end up spending a lot of time selling them on a concept and. If you just went to product first and built like your vision of it, you can actually show that to them and actually use that as part of the sales process, as yep. well as showing it to investors. Yep. And there's a whole other aspect of you know having a co-founder in general. That's just startups are hard, and you need yes. another person to push yeah. you. So like, but I don't think that the classic model of like 
oh, that's the, you know, sh she's the business CEO and, you know, she's the um, CTO, you know, like you don't need this like CEO, CTO relationship um, in every startup. Like it can be different, different combinations, especially now when the platforms are, ex are exploding. It's like, who, who are you going to have for a CTO that, you know, right out of the gate is going to just be amazing for iOS, Android, web, you know, the, it, you know, there are people out there, but it's just hard. So your trade-off when you're trying to find a CTO who has all of that, you know, if you're trying to attack all those different platforms, it's just a, it, it just takes time. It, yeah. It's your, yeah. tra your trade-off is like, I might not release anything for three months or, or six months while I find that perfect person. And sometimes that's worth it. Um, but other times it isn't. I agree. I think, and I think actually I toward, I tend to err towards action, especially in a startup because like, if you're moving forward and doing stuff, you're gonna you're learning the whole time, and mm -hmm. so I think like three to six months of sitting on the sidelines. And once you have the, the more you have something real, the more you know people are gonna get attracted to yeah, it. The totally, more someone's totally. gonna write a story about you. And to me, I think um, some people are a little bit afraid of like, oh, if you go too far, then you're not gonna have a true founder who's invested in, you know, being being able to drive the technical decision making or something like that. You know, I've just seen so many times when you get that first version out and you get a little bit of attraction, but then you bring on a full-time team and they can still rewrite it. You know, I if totally, they, if they feel totally they need to agree. rewrite it or, you know, change a bunch of things. There's still a lot, a lot of technical decisions to be made over the, over the years that you don't, you shouldn't feel any technical ownership loss if you're coming into a company, you know, as a technical person three months in, six months in, a year in, because a lot's going to change. I, you said something, so switching gears a little bit, you said something earlier, which I thought was really interesting. You were talking about like kind of the different, the way different startups emerge in different ecosystems. And you use like LA, New York, and like, I think, feel like ThoughtBot has a really interesting perspective on this because you guys have teams in so many different markets. And like, like I remember looking at the LA market like five or maybe seven years ago, and I was like, wow, it seems so poised to grow because they had something they didn't each of those markets has something I'd love to hear like what you think they have different in my opinion I think what's cool about New York and LA is that those markets have huge media empires that are just sitting there waiting for interesting stories and if you're like a really interesting company like Snapchat or Tumblr or all the companies in New York and LA you actually get covered by the LA Times <laughs> the Hollywood Reporter yeah. You know, all and in New York, you're getting covered by the New York Times, New York Magazine. It's like those are like global reaches. And I I feel like the startups, the successful startups in those markets, are really good at using media. Whereas, like in the Bay Area, there's there's some big, you know, there's a lot of magazines, online magazines, and blogs like TechCrunch and things like that. That's kind of our competitive advantage. But that you don't have like the New York Times here. Like the San Francisco Chronicle is not a, a not a, a you know a newspaper that's read across the world. Now, like, what do, what do you right. see? Like, you look across all the different offices of thought. You mentioned Austin. You mentioned Philadelphia, New York. Like, what do you see as, like, the competitive advantages in each of those markets? I don't know that I have a whole lot more to add than kind of your initial analysis there. I definitely agree, especially with New York. You know, we've worked with a ton of New York companies now in the last two years, and they tend to be very savvy with their marketing uh, yeah. their customer acquisition. They've already planned out some things or, you know, they've got – former PR person in-house or they've got a you know PR agency lined up or you know or their founder is just very charismatic and knows you know where to go down the street in in Manhattan to to make a, a little bit of noise happen so we've seen some very 
very solid launches, you know, from clients we've worked in New York, you know, 100,000 people on their mailing list in the first two weeks and that kind of stuff. Whereas, you know, I don't know, I didn't see quite that when I was in Boston and here I certainly read TechCrunch and those sort of things. I feel like I know more maybe (laughs) about, it's just a personal bias, but I feel like I know more about the uh, origin stories of the startups out here. I feel like it's more about the the glamour or the you know <laughs> something like that of the the two people in south park eating a burrito on a on the swing set you know and hearing about how they built up the the company from nothing yeah versus yeah. uh new york maybe it's a little bit more about the product so so on that like this is i always wonder about this and i don't think i've ever asked you this like personally but like you and i have like spitballed a ton over the years and in fact you've come up with like some pretty awesome ideas did you ever think about just like doing your own startup or like, how do you think about that? I think I know the answer. It might be ThoughtBot is your own startup, mm-hmm. but like, I still remember you telling me, you're like, dude, we got to build an Uber for dog walking. <laughs> and we both laughed. And then like, I was like, Dan, that's a really good idea. You should do that. Like in your spare time. And sure enough, like nine months later, a year later, we see, you know, I forwarded you the article that the company raised 5 yeah. million bucks or whatever, you know, yeah, I see like, the, the, uh, the leaflets or whatever, I think WAG is the, yeah. the startup now, and they seem to be doing well. Yeah, it comes up comes up over over time, and we're um, I'm very much like my my peers here, and that I like building things, and I've got a lot of ideas for for different products and services, and some of them seem like nice products that we can build on Fridays within Thoughtbot, and I wouldn't want to try and build a business around them. Yeah, like you said, I definitely think of Thoughtbot as a product, you know, even though it's like a services firm, you know the the um, reason I've been here for for eight years and you know been the management team and things like that are because it's interesting to me to try and build a small business into something sustainable yeah, and build yeah. team and try new markets and all that kind of stuff that I had never done before um, and have the control to do that and, and not need to ask too many people for permission to do it and just kind of as the ideas come gather you know gather the small consensus that's necessary to, uh, for a team this size um, you guys aren't a small business anymore <laughs> yeah maybe mid, mid-size now yeah awesome dude this has been really good i want to start a new feature where i ask a few parting questions oh so i've just i was just thinking about this the other day and i think this could be cool so these are like quick response questions right like right. so favorite e-commerce site i really like caviar oh uh, is that the food delivery food one? delivery yeah i don't know who built it i want to say like square i think square bought it actually bought it yeah Yeah. i just i don't know it's i've tried a lot of food delivery things special about them because i do a lot of food delivery too because we work really late hours like what do you what do you like about caviar Uh, um as as a you know software person someone who works on a lot of design and development i just think that they've boiled it down to its essence and done a really nice job of it. You know, the, all the menu items are a single photo. Like, I don't think they even have the full menu in a lot of places. They're just done a nice job editing. You know, the actual restaurant choices and the food choices are well edited. The actual clicks and, you know, t- taps, I guess. You know, I've, I don't think I've ever, eh, maybe I've used the website once, but the nine times out of 10, I'm using the mobile app. Uh, and usually we know when it's, that night that we're not cooking, you know, so a lot of times it's uh, ordering when I'm on the bus. Totally. You know, we do that take, too. And it's going to take 30, 30 minutes or four, you know, 60 yeah. minutes or something. And so order on the bus, walk the dog, food comes, and I just think they did a really nice job yeah. with the product. That's awesome. What's your favorite place to get a drink? 
die fancy whatever you want whatever your favorite place like your go-to place my, my favorite is still in boston uh stoddard's so mm. there's a, a bar a, a beer bar in boston called stoddard's which is almost right next to the thoughtbot office and it opened up while i was there and was there the first night and met the owners and still know the bartenders by name jamie and dan and um you know now I'm only going back a couple times a year, and so I'll see them and walk in, and usually there's a, a free drink, but usually I'm also bringing a bunch of people with me, and it's uh, just a, a really, really well done place. That's awesome. Have you done an AngelList investment yet? If so, which one's your favorite? Not through AngelList. I made one angel investment. One angel, yeah, not through angel. Okay. Yeah. Are you allowed to talk about it? or? Uh, yeah, it's Pistol Lake which mm. is a clothing company in LA. So mm. I know the, the founder really well, Will Solinsky from Boston. What's their, what's their uh, approach? All American made clothing. Oh. So it's all made in Los Angeles. Oh, there's um, a, yeah, there's a huge garment district in uh, yeah, Los Angeles. Yeah, huge garment yeah. district. So he was a former tech guy, you know, he, he'd gone through tech stars in Boston and gone through a couple of cool tech companies as a CEO founder and then you know, a couple of different roles at some different places. and. He and his brother, have, or his twin brother, uh, I think his twin brother is one of the founders of Mopub. Oh, okay. Uh, the Twitter. Yeah, that's uh, a big acquisition by Twitter. Ad, yeah, platform. And so, you know, really good entrepreneurs, really good friends. I love the idea. You know, it's just all American made, really high quality clothing. If you think about maybe what you imagine J. Crew was 50 or 100 years ago if they were around then, you know, that these, these, the two brothers are from. Uh, Maine. Uh, it's, Will really founded the company with Shane, another Boston tech guy. That's and, awesome. Uh, favorite Spotify playlist slash song that we can all listen to when we're at work tomorrow listening to the podcast? Well, listen I'm, to the Spotify playlist after the podcast, after it's done, not during. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm an audio user. I like the audio. Oh, okay. I like yeah. the audio. Yeah. Um, the song I've been listening to on repeat a little bit too often recently is... Tame Impala is the artist, and the song is Elephant. Elephant. I'll check that out. Yep. Awesome, man. Well, if anyone has any recommendations on other questions, let me know. I think I'm going to make that a regular of the podcast. <laughs> it's kind of fun. It's like you really kind of learn stuff about people. It's awesome. Uh, Dan, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Can you tell the audience where they can find ThoughtBot and you know, just give them the, the quick pitch one more time so they know what's going on? Yeah, uh, ThoughtBot.com. It's like a thinking robot at ThoughtBot on Twitter and all, all that, but software design development agency and hope to hear from you. Awesome. And don't forget to Google playbook thoughtbot. I'm telling you, this is like two or three really good hours of your life. It's it, it actually like re was really eye opening to me. And as Dan said, it's probably the best, best sales tool thoughtbot could ever produce. And they did it without even thinking about it. So awesome. Thanks Dan. Really appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Cheers. Scott.